But before I begin uh, my, my sermon today, I want to thank uh, Pastor Mike Clark, who's along with his wife Sue, are, are part of our church family. You remember Mike from during the, the transition, before the transition, he led your congregational meeting last May. Uh, Mike has a new book on Ephesians, and I, I told him this morning, I unashamedly am stealing some of his material. Today, we come to the end of Paul's letter, and in these final verses, Paul is going to pick up the themes that he's been developing for six chapters. And he's going to introduce to us a powerful set of metaphors that remind us how to remain faithful as we follow Jesus Christ. How to live as a disciple in not only a fallen world, but a world that is full of evil. So his reminder uh, consists of four points. First, Paul says, stand, remain steadfast. Secondly, Paul accurately names our true enemy. Third, he urges us to maintain a practiced readiness in the basics of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And fourth, he urges us to pray and pray and pray and pray some more. So let's look at those four points as they come up for us on the slides. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, and so you can take your stand. We're to stand in our armor. And this is really a great illustration if you lived in first century Ephesus, because you would see Roman soldiers doing this on march all the time standing and wearing their full armor and paul is using this metaphor to say that's what we who follow jesus christ need to do as well he repeats the word stand four times in the uh, verses 10 to 14 uh, that you may be able to stand verse 11 that you may be able to withstand verse 13 having done everything stand firm verse 13 and stand therefore Verse 14, we're called to stand firm in the place of blessing, which is ours through Christ. Now, our world is a place where demands, criticism, misunderstanding, mistrust, manipulation, rivalry, getting and spending, lies and seductions, all of that is what we face every day in our world. And Paul understands that. And he says, you have a place of peace, of well-being, of blessedness when you stand, therefore, in the full armor of God. Last week we saw Paul talk about how to be filled with the Spirit in all of our relationships. And today, he's saying the same thing in a different way. He's saying, stand firm in the Spirit when you face challenges trials, tribulations, and outright evil. So the context for standing is a world that is deeply impacted by evil. Paul, Paul's strategy to live in an evil world is the same. Stand, stand against evil. Now to stand in the face of an attack is to hold um, your ground in a defensible position. And Roman soldiers would do this. They would get their 
their uh, shields and they would cover their little group of soldiers with shields so that they could withstand the arrows of the enemy. They needed each other in order to take that full onslaught and then they would go on attack. So to stand, Paul says, in the face of attack is to hold your ground. And it's literally the word in Greek, analambano, meaning to take up and stand against. It's an active verb. So to stand strong, we need to put on the full armor of God. Now we're going to look at each piece of armor in a moment. But before we do, Paul wants to make it clear who our actual enemy is. Notice that, let's go back, (laughs) notice that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against people. People are not our enemy, Paul says. Our enemy is clear. It is the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is clear about who the enemy is in our spiritual battle. It is never other people. It is never the world or even the culture of the world. It is the evil one himself. Our battle is a spiritual battle, and it has to be fought with the weapons of the Spirit. Now, a lot of Christians today are not clear on this. My prayer is that our family here at Grace Commons would be clear that we're always to treat other people, even people hostile to us, even what Jesus calls enemies, the way Jesus taught us to. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In fact, I believe Paul would say that for the gospel to be unleashed in and through a church, we must get this balance of love and preparing for battle just right. Tim Keller, uh, author, pastor, uh, applies this tension to the mission of the local church when he writes these words. All churches must understand, love, and identify with their local community and social setting, and yet at the same time be able to and willing to critique and challenge it. Every church, whether located in a city, a suburb, or a rural area, must become wise about and conversant with the distinctives of human life in those places. But we must also think about how Christianity and the church engage and interact with culture in general. This has become an acute issue as Western culture has become increasingly post-Christian. So we need to understand and find that balance, but we need to know who our enemy really is. Charles Baudelaire, who was a famous poet in 19th century France, famously wrote, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Paul was not tricked. He understood the wiles of the devil, He listened to Jesus' teaching on this. He experienced evil in his own life. And he remembered what Jesus taught us when he felt dealt with Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. And as Paul closes this letter, he's bringing everything he's got to make these points. He wants the Ephesians to understand if they aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, and practicing a resurrection resurrection life every day, they will not survive. 
Paul says we are in a spiritual battle. And it's a battle that takes daily dependence on the Holy Spirit and prayer to win. Well, Carrie and I have raised two sons, uh, and they're both in their 30s now and well-launched in adult life. They're adulting, and we're thrilled by that. Um, And we've been in ministry with students and faculty and young professionals most of our adult life. And when I think about the challenges that I faced as a new Christian in a fraternity house over 40 years now, 40 years ago, they seem easy compared with the spiritual struggle that young adults have these days. We live in a culture where there's just tremendous freedom to do whatever you want to do. And that creates openings for evil. And as I sit in my office or talk on the phone or visit with people in their homes and listen to the struggles that people face trying to hold on to their commitments, their marriages, their children, all the time facing an unrelenting battle with evil, trying to tear those commitments apart, my heart breaks. I don't have a lot more than what Paul has, though. Put on the whole armor of God, and we'll get into all that. But before we do, what exactly is a spiritual battle? Steve May wrote a book called Living in a War Zone, and he writes this, every time you have the chance to do something vindictive, you're on the spiritual battlefield. Every time you have the chance to say something harsh and hurtful, you are in the midst of battle. Every time you toy with the notion that you're just a little bit better than most of the people you know, you are surrounded by enemy fire. Every time you encounter a person in need, you are engaged in combat. Life is a spiritual battlefield, and there is a force at work in this world that does not want you to do good. There is a force that does not want you to minister to people in the name of Jesus, that does not want you to reflect God's love and mercy. And that force will do anything it takes to take you off the battlefield. So we put on the full armor of God to protect us from all of these things. So let's look at each of the pieces of that full armor. Well, here's the whole Roman soldier. So you get it. It's, he's got the, the tunic and the shield and the sword and the sandals and the helmet and all that. And let's look at some of these. Let's look at all of them in order. The first thing Paul says is to put on the belt of truth. Now, this belt for a Roman soldier was not like this little thin belt that I'm wearing to hold my pants up. It's more like what construction workers put on so they don't throw out their back as they're lifting all day. So it supports the whole midsection. The belt made of truth reminds us that character, not brute force, wins the battle. That means in our behavior, we're not to lie or be deceptive. We're to be honest, to live truthfully, to think truthfully, and to speak truthfully. Truth is our strength against the false claims of evil. The second item is that breastplate of righteousness. We put that on. And, you know, God wore the breastplate of righteousness, according to Isaiah 59. 
And we now receive that from Jesus to wear in our spiritual battle. We wear the righteousness of God because we don't have righteousness of our own. This thick breastplate of righteousness protects the vital organs of heart and lung. It turns aside arrows and swords. And a righteous life protected by the Holy Spirit's armor is impregnable to assault and accusation. The purity of our heart defends us against the lies of the evil one. We're also to put on the shoes fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Now, these are not the ordinary sandals that people wore in the first century. They're battle shoes. They protect and support your lower extremities. They are light, though, and ready to move. And we need the solid footing of the gospel to hold our ground, to stand, and to take new ground for the kingdom. Isaiah puts it like this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, and who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, Your God reigns. When we know in our hearts and live by the promises of God's gospel, our salvation is secure. We know deep in our hearts the truth that God will never leave us or forsake us, that not, no temptation has overcome us that is not common to human beings. But with the temptation, God promises to provide a way of escape. So we can stand firmly and confidently against evil. The next is the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, Roman soldiers would carry a large shield like this, and they would cover it with leather. And before every battle, they would soak the leather for a long time in water and just make it dripping wet. And that was a great thing because they would get in their defensive formation, put their shields around them, and the arrows would come out the first volley with lit with uh, boiling oil, so these were dangerous weapons, and they would just harmlessly fall off the shields or get stuck in the wet leather and be put out. Satan is constantly prowling about looking for Christians to take down. Satan sends arrows at us, especially trying to get us to lose hope when we face hard times, trials, tribulations. We need the shield of faith to put out the flaming arrows of evil as we daily put our faith in Jesus. The next item is the helmet of salvation. And to protect our heads, we put on this helmet. First Thessalonians, Paul says, it's the, the helmet is our hope of salvation. And hope is a powerful word in the New Testament. It's not wishful thinking, I hope it'll get better. It's a certain knowledge that Christ is greater than all our enemies, including the enemies of sin and death itself. Hope is the assurance that we live today and forever in the mighty power of Jesus Christ our Lord. The wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, ends with when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That's biblical hope. 
We need the hope of salvation. We need to put on this helmet of hope every day. Last, we, last weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is such a vivid metaphor in Scripture, and it reminds us of all the other teaching that Paul has been giving us about being filled with the Spirit. Now, the sword is not the Spirit, but it's effective because it represents the Spirit's power. As we read Scripture, as we meditate on it, as we study it together, as we pray through it, God uses that sword as one of the most important parts of our protection. It is the Word of God, Paul says. And remember, Jesus used this weapon when he was in the wilderness. Each time Satan came to him with a different temptation, he would quote the Old Testament. And he would use the truth of God's word as a sword to defeat the temptation of Satan. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The sword works inside us so that we become alive by living in the light of the gospel every day. We have this sword of the Spirit, the promises of God made good in Christ and established in Scripture. The sword of the Spirit reminds us of the full truth of the gospel, how God has saved us from sin, how God has broken down the dividing walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, between anyone who is in conflict with one another, the sword of the Spirit helps break down those dividing walls. The last part of our spiritual armor doesn't have a, a, a piece of weaponry. It's prayer. Paul repeats this word pray in the Spirit five times in three verses. And he's pretty relentless, all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And we're not just to pray for ourselves, but for all the Lord's people. See, what makes a good Roman soldier? It's more than wearing all of the armor. It's the ability to anticipate the enemy's next move and be prepared with a counteroffensive. You can't do that if you're not praying and you're not in touch with your commanding officer in Paul's metaphor, and that's Jesus Christ. You can't help your team. You can't help your brothers and sisters in Christ if you're not in touch with a leader, but you've also got to be praying for each other, Paul says. Communication lines are vital in battle so we don't get separated, outflanked, and overcome. And in prayer, the Holy Spirit keeps us in touch with our leader and in communication with each other. We're ready to fight off any attack. We know exactly where it comes from and how to fight back when we pray. We're to pray for everyone in all occasions, being alert, ready for opportunities to pray and go on counterattack in prayer. We need to put on the full armor of God every day, Paul says, and stand in that place armed with these tools of the Holy Spirit. 
If we don't, the outlook is grim. Paul didn't know this, but four centuries after he wrote these words, the Roman Empire fell. And there's lots of reasons. If you want to read the whole uh, the fall, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire by Edmund Gibbons, I'm sure you can get it at a used bookstore. But one reason was the decay of the army. That comes from 5th century Roman historian Vegetius. He writes that the army had grown weak from lack of wars and stopped wearing their protective armor. The Pax Romana, they thought, would protect them. They thought they had pacified all the tribes around the Roman Empire. And not wearing their armor made them vulnerable to enemy weapons. They also lost security because they stopped drilling together. And that's the analogy of praying for us. And Vegetius said the leaders became incompetent. There was corruption. And then the barbarians were at the gate. Visigoths, Ostrogoths, and other so-called barbarian tribes from the north. And they overcame the Roman soldiers who were no longer ready to fight and were even missing parts of their armor. Rome fell because the soldiers were not ready. I have known so many Christians in my life who stop reading and studying God's word regularly. They stop praying and worshiping. They stop getting together in small groups and accountable relationships with each other, with their brothers and sisters. Paul says, when we do this, it's a sure recipe to make us vulnerable to the evil one. And we wonder sometimes why we're facing such difficult times. We often bring it on ourselves because Satan can see our weakened state. We are in a spiritual battle for our families, our friends, our brothers and sisters, and for the church of Jesus Christ. Paul says, stand. Be prepared. Stand together in Christ. Stand in the full armor of God and pray. Let's pray together as we close. God, we want to be your followers. We want to be people armed with all of these weapons of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to know you and the power of your resurrection and live and practice a resurrection life. But Lord, there's a responsibility we have, which is to use these tools that you have so abundantly given us. Tools of the Spirit and to pray at all times, on all occasions, for all kinds of people. So Lord, make us a people ready for battle, understanding who our enemy is and isn't, and praying, depending on you and one another. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.